0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays.
1: The reading is taken from the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. That's on page 1234 in the church Bibles. And this is the letter to the church in Ephesus. and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, Which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To the church in Smyrna, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Is that, is that on? Does that sound like it's on? Excellent, good. Uh, thank you, Sue, for the reading. And uh, let me add my welcome to Johnny's. My name's Rob. As Johnny said, I'm on the staff team here, uh, one of the curates. Well, I wonder, how was your um, journey this morning to Christchurch? What about the parking when you arrived? Um, did you get a smile as you came in? Uh, What about Johnny's opening? Did it grab you? What about a kid's song? Did you enjoy doing the actions? Or did you just find that really awkward? Uh, What about the new seats? How are they? Do you miss the pews? (laughs) I shouldn't have asked, should I? (laughs) What do you like about Forward Church? And what would you like to bin... Are we a good church? Are we an okay church? Or are you regretting that you ever came? What ingredients matter most in the making of a good church? And have we followed the recipe? What would you add? What would you take out? And most importantly, is what matters most to you Also what matters most to the church's owner, the one who bought us with his blood. What does he think are the key ingredients in a church? Well, do you know the Lord of the church sent his message by his servant John to seven churches in Asia so that we might know what he thinks And over the next seven weeks, we're going to be studying his recipe. And I just wonder how his recipe will compare to ours. Now, somebody asked me a couple of weeks ago whether these seven churches that we're looking at are actually real churches. After all, as they rightly said, what's the number seven? It's a symbolic number in Scripture, isn't it? Symbolizing completeness. Well, yeah, these seven churches are real churches churches. You can see them there on the map. We're going to be working our way around the churches of Asia, Ephesus and Smyrna today. You can see them there in red. And yet the number seven is symbolic of completeness. Do you remember right from the start on the seventh day, God completed all the work that he was doing in creation. So these seven real churches I take it then as symbolic. They represent, in broad brushstroke, a complete range of troubles and temptations, strengths and weaknesses, ways the recipe can be followed and be successful, and ways the recipe can turn out wrong for all churches, everywhere, in all time. As we read these seven letters, here's a few principles that I think we need. Uh, to help us understand what Jesus is saying to us. First of all, I think we should be trying to understand our church, but also trying to understand ourselves and our own personal walk with God. Look how verses 7 and 11 wrap up each letter. It's the same thing repeated twice. Verse 7, whoever has ears... Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, and then to the one who is victorious, dot, dot, dot. Same thing in verse 11. Whoever has ears has ears. I'm just looking around. I think, yeah, everyone's got a full set this morning, I think. Two ears, mostly. Yeah, all got ears. Okay, so this is meant for you personally to listen to. And notice as well that even though Jesus is addressing individual, real churches in Asia, he says, whoever has ear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. In speaking to each individual church, he's really speaking to all churches everywhere. And so we're to consider these letters as a corporate body as well, as a church. Then finally, he switches back to our individual responsibility to listen and keep what he says to the one who conquers. Jesus then wants us to try to understand our whole church, our our, our culture. He wants us to try and sum it up and see how it compares to what he thinks makes a good church. But he also wants us to take individual responsibility for our private walks and I take it those things go hand in hand for Jesus because they go hand in hand in reality as well, don't they? Don't you know that it's a dangerous thing to be part of a church community? Because this whole community will affect you and your walk with Christ individually. Be careful what church you join up join up to. And yet also, of course, if our church culture is wrong, to fix it, what do we need? Well, every individual has to make a change, don't they? Because we all are part of this church. We are the church. You are the church. You are the church. So be prepared to work hard to understand our church corporately, but also your own individual walk. And finally, another little principle, be prepared to be blindsided. Across these seven letters, I think we're gonna see three different types of basic evaluation from Christ towards the churches. There's gonna be condemnation, there's gonna be commendation, and there's also gonna be a combination of both. And the scary thing about the three churches that received the biggest condemnations is that in each case get this, in each case, they think everything is fine. If you think all is well at Fulward Church well, first of all, where have you been for the last three years? Maybe you're new. But also, if you think all is well, then almost by definition, all is not well. Because we're going to see again and again, and we saw a couple of weeks ago with John facing persecution and in prison on Patmos, that in this world, to worship the Lord in a world that doesn't worship him, by definition, it is difficult. It is hard to be a Christian. If you're finding the Christian life pretty straightforward and it's all breezy and fine and happy then almost by definition, you've, you've stopped fighting. Maybe you've already lost the battle and you need to get, get back into it. So please, listen up over the next few weeks and consider our church, consider yourself and be prepared to be blindsided. Let's dig into the first church. Sorry, it's all very serious, this, isn't it? But, um, but it is serious. This really matters. Let's begin with Ephesus. I think the basic message here is love Christ afresh or be removed. Now, I need to um, make a bit of a confession at this point. Um, I've made a big mistake because, uh, you see, I've thought and taught for many years that Christ gave us revelation in order to help us persevere and endure to the end. I mean, that's the big sort of flow of the book, isn't it? Keep going through all these troubles until you get to the heavenly Zion, until you get to the new creation and you see Jesus. But I don't think that does justice to the message of Revelation. Not now I've dug into this letter to Ephesus. Because you see, the church in Ephesus is doing well when it comes to endurance and perseverance. And yet Jesus still condemns them. Let's dig in. Verses 2 and 3, first of all. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your per- perseverance. I know you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary do you see then this church has no problem with perseverance and endurance at all do they they're doing really well when it comes to this part of the recipe endurance great and yet Jesus thinks that is far from being enough so the point of all of revelation cannot be simply keep going to the end endure persevere oh no because they are commended for endurance even though overall they stand condemned. For what it's worth, I think this first letter to Ephesus shows us that Revelation calls Christians not just to endure, but to endure in something. Do you want to know what it is? Well, isn't it obvious from our children's video and from the reading and from Willard's prayer? It's it's about enduring in loving worship. It's not enough to just grit our teeth and keep going to the end. Jesus wants us to keep loving him until the end. Until the day when we will consummate that love and love him forever and ever, deeper and deeper, further on and further in. Did you see how Jesus evaluates both the hatred and the love? Of Ephesus. The hate is there, and it's kind of right, isn't it? Verse 6? Verse 6. You have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, we don't know much about the content of the Nicolaitans' teaching, but their uh, name is probably symbolic. It comes from uh, the Greek word to conquer and I guess the point is don't be conquered by false teaching if you want to conquer and make it to the end and these guys haven't been conquered they're doing well they're resisting false teaching notice from verse 2 we do know about these guys that they claim to have divine authority verse 2 they claim to be apostles but are not can I say then that Jesus hates this His word, not mine, end of verse six, Jesus hates people claiming to speak in his name when he never sent them. And he commends the Ephesians for hating it too. You hate what I hate, he says, verse six. He commends them for their hard work as they test teaching and reject what's not really from him, what's false, and promote what is truly of him and truly represents him. That is all good and right and necessary now as it ever was. The only problem is, and it is so serious a problem that it threatens the very existence of this church, the only problem is that their great hatred of falsehood is not matched by and surpassed by and motivated by an even greater love for Christ, verse four. Verse four. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. I was chatting to uh, the former youth worker here, and he was saying it's. Um, he finds this letter very uncomfortable. So um, let's just ease the discomfort for a second and think about Jamie Oliver. Uh, there he is. Do you remember this famous incident from 2016 when he um, put chorizo into paella? I said it right there for all the Spanish speakers, I think, didn't I? Not paella, but paella. And all of Spain was up in arms. How dare he put uh, chorizo into paella? Now, why was Spain in uproar? Well, because they love their national dish. It's not because they hated Jamie per se. Though they did hate on him big time on Twitter. But they hated on him because they love and cherish paella, as it's meant to be, according to the true recipe. Or to move the illustration on a bit, let's have a, uh, the next photo. There you go, something a bit more Yorkshire. Uh, mash. Mashed potato. Do you see, the point is, it's not enough to defend mashed potato. By keeping oranges out of it. You also have to put the main ingredient in. Potatoes. Otherwise you're just left with um, buttery milk. You must, as a Christian, if you want to be a true church that's right in the sight of Christ, you must persevere in keeping the oranges out. Falsehood has no place here. False teaching has no place here. But that's worthless if you don't keep the potatoes in. Do you love Christ? Our hatred for what is false should be driven and shaped by our love for the one who is true. We're to fight false messengers not because we hate them per se, but because we love Jesus and because they don't really bring us Jesus. Our hatred is only to exist because of our love, and our hatred is to be tempered and shaped by our love. Do you remember Jesus denouncing Jerusalem because they rejected the true prophets? But how did he denounce them? With loving tears. Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would gather you under my wings, but you would not. Or even Paul, do you remember Paul in Philippians? Detesting false teaching. Those dogs, he said, of false teachers. And yet of his kinsmen in chapter 9 of Romans, he weeps for his, his people who believe and teach the wrong thing and wishes that he could die, that they might live. Because he loves them, even as he hates them. I wonder, do you love Christ and does your love for Christ teach you to love others? If not, then we are like potato-less mash, only good for the bin. And so with the church in Ephesus. Did you see that in verse 5? That's what's at stake here. They're in danger of being bin. Verse 5. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Lampstand removal? Is, is this just kind of the, I don't know, the circuit what, what do circuits do when the lights go out? Sorry, Buildings manager, I've forgotten the word. Short circuit, they're short circuit, don't they? There you go, thank you, okay. Is it just the lights going out? No, not at all. This is temple imagery. The lampstand would stand in the Old Testament temple in the very presence of God, in the holy place. For the lampstand to be removed, and remember from two weeks ago, the lampstand represents the church. For the lampstand to be removed means no longer having a place in God's presence. No longer being his holy people. No longer being in. So what do you think? Can you see how important this is? That we we have to work out, don't we, how we compare to Ephesus. Are we in danger of like them thinking that we're all right because we're right despite the fact we feel so little love for Jesus? I'm always deeply disturbed by that verse in 1 Peter, though you have not seen him, you love him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible, says Peter. And he just takes it for granted that that's what the Christians he's writing to feel and i Think, do I? Sometimes people hear this challenge and ask, Aren't feelings a bad guide to the truth about Jesus? Well, yeah, I want to say feelings are a terrible guide to the truth about Jesus. Jesus is true whether you feel rightly about him or not, but feelings are a brilliant guide to whether you've really grasped the truth about Jesus. Have you? Do you love him? But, but hold on, isn't it enough simply to acknowledge that Jesus is, is wonderful? Isn't it enough to demonstrate that acknowledgement by working really hard for him, even if it is a bit joyless and a drag? Well, hold on a minute, are we reading the same letter? No problem with hard work here. All right, all right. But what about the idea that love changes with time? I mean, surely when Jesus calls us back to our first love, he doesn't really mean that I should feel this same awe and wonder I experienced when I first became a Christian, does he? Doesn't he? Then what does he mean? Look, the whole of Revelation teaches us that we should long passionately for Jesus Come, Lord Jesus, is the prayer on the lips of his saints at the end of the letter. The church is to pray as it awaits its marriage day with its king with longing. Because this is the engagement period we're in. If someone told me in the run-up to their big day that they just don't feel excited anymore about being married to their fiancé, I'd say to them, you know, you don't have to get married. You should think about maybe just whether you should. Maybe you should call it off if you don't love this person. Well, Jesus warns us he will call it off if we don't love him. So please, don't let whataboutery stop you from hearing this warning if you need it. And that's an if. I don't know whether you need it. I'm not judging you in saying this. Actually, I think there are many people here who do obviously love Jesus with a simple-hearted love, as David Campbell once challenged me to do. But I am saying this to urge you to judge yourselves soberly. Surely we have to each do some thinking, some self-reflection to work out if this is true of us individually and corporately. As a staff team on Friday, we were considering how easy it is, weirdly, For Jesus to be sidelined in his own church. Have you ever noticed that? Today is, as John said in 1 verse 10, the Lord's day. His day. So why are you here today on his day? Did you come here this morning to meet with verse 1 of chapter 2? With the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Have you come to meet with the maker of the universe who holds the heavenly bodies in his hands, who commands the angels, all of them, seven? Did you come this morning to meet with the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, the one who is present amongst us? Do you see him by faith here this morning? Did you come for him? Why are you here? Here is the Lord of his servants in heaven and on earth and coming here for him. Surely the parking and the coffee and the sad change from the pews to the bucket seats just don't feel quite as important as they did. Not saying we shouldn't discuss these things maybe it would be better to go back to the pews maybe it would let's talk about it but let's keep things in proportion please and let's not get distracted from the one who really matters here's a simple diagnostic to work out whether you love him When thinking about his reward that he describes there at the end of verse 7, eternal life in the new creation, what excites you about the thought of being there? Is it just eating from the tree of life and that you get to live forever and you don't have to get old or sick anymore? Is that what excites you? Or does the fact that you get to be with him excite you most? I mean, after all, verse 7, it's not just paradise we're heading to, but the paradise of God. It's the fact that He is there and will walk amongst us visibly that makes it paradise, above all, isn't it? Do you love Him? Now, I know some of you have asked me before, what do I do if I don't feel this kind of love that we're seeing here? Well, I think there are all sorts of things that we can do. We can do, 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 do. We can take time to read Revelation. Uh, We can keep coming to church. But the problem is, it's not so much what you do because these guys are doing the right thing, but it's more why you're doing it. What's your goal in doing it? Please work hard to study Revelation with us over the next few weeks, but do it with the goal of meeting with and falling in love again with, if you need to, the Lord Jesus. Come to church, but come to church for him, to meet with him, to gather at his table. That's why I'm off to the side this morning, because I'm not the big deal here. Some of you are thinking that's obvious. But... He's the big deal, just in case you are confused. He's the center of attention, isn't he? His love for us. Do you know every faltering relationship takes time to heal, doesn't it? Repentance is not a one-off. You can't fix this overnight if you don't have this kind of love. But please be assured of this. Unlike when relationships falter between humans, in this relationship, The love of one of the parties is not in doubt. If you come to him and say, Lord Jesus, I don't love you as I ought. Do you know what he says? I know, but I still love you. Let me help you. Will you come to him and pray to him and ask him for his help to heal the relationship? Well, look, I've taken a long time over Ephesus there, haven't I? Maybe you can read into that which of the two letters I think is most relevant for us, but I could be wrong. But let's spend a wee bit of time looking at Smyrna as well before we close. So on to our next point. I promise this will be much shorter. Hold on to the living one to live. Here in Smyrna, we see trouble threatening to push a church away from its worship of Christ. Christ. The afflictions and the poverty uh, and poverty of verse 9, I think they probably go hand in hand. Uh, We know from the history books that under Emperor Domitian, Christians were shut out of trade guilds. So they didn't have a chance to tap into all that wealth of the Roman Empire. So the poverty probably comes from persecution here for this church. And yet look at verse 9, it's really interesting. This church remains rich, says Christ. Can I say being rich towards God in the scriptures is shorthand for having a lively, loving relationship towards God. That's what it's shorthand for. This is Jesus' way of saying everything's going really well for you in your walk with me. We're going to see that at the end of the letters when we get to Laodicea who think they're rich because they're materially wealthy. But Jesus says actually you're really poor because you have no love for me, no dependence on me, no desire for me. But not this church in Smyrna. This church is going well. They treasure Jesus. And even though they are persecuted and poor, they think we have all we need and more. We're so rich. Um, Very soon, verse 10, the devil is going to be testing them. Verse 10, by imprisoning them, persecuting them, and even killing them as he works through the Roman authorities to punish this church for its worship of Christ, just as John has been punished, as we saw two weeks ago. Notice also there's a Jewish element to this persecution too. As we study Acts, we're gonna see that the Christian community was largely Jewish, so don't think this is um, ethnic hatred or anything from John. John was a Jew, Uh, Jesus is a Jew. But those Jews who rejected Jesus' claim to be their Messiah often tried to incite the Roman authorities to clamp down on Christianity. And that could have been very unsettling, of course, for the early Christians, couldn't it? Especially for the Roman ones. Because they'd sacrificed so much by rejecting Roman gods at great cost to worship the God of the Jews. And now the Jews are the very ones making life hard for them by, well, slandering them. Slander, verse 9. And if the Jews, God's people, hate us and slander us, then do we really belong to the God of the Jews? Can you see how unsettling this would have been? Well, verse 9b, I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but they're a synagogue of Satan, says Jesus. Remember Jesus in John's gospel To the Jews who wanted to kill him in John's gospel, Jesus said, You are of your children, Uh, you are children of your father, the devil. He was a liar and a murderer from the beginning, and you bear the family likeness. It's likely uh, that very many Christians in Smyrna were Jewish, so again, don't mishear this. And in fact, to call those Jews who reject Christ a synagogue of Satan, as offensive as it might sound, It's simply to say there's no difference between them and the Romans. This is actually a picture of ethnic equality, only very tragically it is a picture of all nations, equal alienation from God and persecution of his people. And look, if all nations are on the side of Satan, then their slander and persecution is actually a sign that we do belong to God, isn't it? Now, that might not seem like much comfort, unless, of course, Christ is your treasure. Then any sign that you really belong to him is going to be something you do treasure, even if it's painful. Now, fortunately, this persecution was only going to last, what does it say in verse 10? Middle of the verse? Ten days. And that's not long, is it? Ten days. I'm sure the church can hang on for ten days, right? Well, the only problem is that in um, Revelation, ten is a symbolic number, which means a lot. So these ten days could actually be decades. Can we have a next slide? Um, here is on your screens Polycarp, a disciple of John. Probably heard this letter read by John um, out loud. And um, Polycarp eventually became Bishop of Smyrna. And his martyrdom is actually the earliest recorded outside the Bible that still remains. He was killed in 156 AD, so about 60 years after this was written. Oh, the persecution went on and on and on for a very long time. But here are the Bishop of Smyrna's last words. What a bishop this guy was. They're very famous, you might know them. 86 years I have served Christ and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and savior? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season and after a little while is quenched, but you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. I just think this bishop of Smyrna had been reading the letter to Smyrna, hadn't he? Look at verse 10, middle of the verse. Be faithful, says Christ, who never did any harm or wrong to Polycarp. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Oh, don't believe that death is the end. And don't believe that death is the worst thing that can happen to you. Smyrna, if its most famous leader was anything to go by, stayed rich to Christ for decades. They passed the test. Now, obviously, we're not in Smyrna's situation, are we? Not yet, not by a long shot. Let's not get a victim complex again. We're not facing death. I wonder if in some ways uh, this church is a big call to us to remember those our brothers and sisters around the world who are facing death and to pray for and support them. I'm going to append this week a prayer letter from um, the organization Open Doors from a North Korean Christian. Not this one on the screen, but another one. A Christian converted in China and now looking to go back into North Korea despite the danger it will bring because he loves Christ and loves his people. He also wants to set up orphanages. Love. I think he's simply grasped verse 8 though, hasn't he? That Christ is the first and last. That is the God by whom we were made. The Alpha, the beginning. The God for whom we were made. The end, the goal, the Omega. The God who because he loves us took on flesh to die for us. To free us from our sins, the one who ever now lives, that we might ever live with him. Do you want to? Let's pray. Lord of the Church. Lord of heaven and earth, the Lord who loves us and died for us to free us from our sins, O Lord who lives forever, that we might live with you forever. Please secure our love for you, we pray, that we might not be a potato-less mash, but a church that pleases your heart in every way and that knows the joy of loving you. Amen.